my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with the global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. Welcome to another episode of Five Things. And today we're going to be speaking with Adrian Young, who's going to talk to us about five things we need to understand about nutrition and the bedside nurse. Welcome, Adrian. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you're a research dietitian here at the Royal and at UQ, University of Queensland. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool. So, not a nurse, but we're really, really interested in your healthcare professional origin story and sort of how you've gone through the clinical practice into research roles and then sort of still the links um, at the bedside too. Yeah, yeah. So I was a ward dietitian for a number of years and every day seeing particularly older people not eating very well in hospital. And so that really sparked an interest in research to understand how we could care for them better. So that led to a PhD and then continuing to try to improve nutrition and meal times and food for um, our patients in hospital. Which is absolutely critical for their overall well-being, isn't 100%. it? 100%. And health. So what sparked the journey into your your professional field. So when did you when did you go? I want to be a dietitian. I grew up in a family that loves food, and so of course, probably like every family, food was a big part of our social fabric. And um, I knew I wanted to do something in health, and didn't know exactly what that was. And thought I always need to know about nutrition, so I thought I would study it for a bit, and then loved it. Yeah, yeah terrific. Let's dive straight into this because obviously, food is something that is really relevant to the whole world. Uh, especially to our bedside nurses. So your number one is eating when sick is different to eating when well. Yeah, 100%. And I think this is really important for us to know and I think for bedside nurses because typically at that point in time we're caring for somebody who is sick, often very unwell, uh, and knowing that the right nutrition for them at that point in time actually might be very different to what we would consider good nutrition for ourselves or even for that individual when they are healthy. Um, so I, th- I think one of the things is that often we don't feel like eating when we're sick. Uh, I know when even when I'm sick with a cold, I, I don't want to eat all of the fruits and vegetables and healthy proteins and things. It's whatever I can get into me at that point in time and our patients are, are no different, so their food preferences change. Um, but also just the appetite when we're acutely unwell, our appetite really goes to the to the bottom really. And so we really need to be eating, um, thinking about food as a different, you know, as fuel um, rather than as a, a mechanism to promote our you know, health and well-being necessarily. So essentially, you know, when someone's got a, you know, even a cold and is at home, um, how, like, is it okay to just eat toast with butter or to have soup? You know, is it really about anything that's palatable to you that you feel like you can keep down? That's what you should do just for that period of illness. Yeah, so 
I suppose it depends. Uh, so if you've got a really short-term illness, then, you know, putting your, your good nutrition to the, the side for a little bit and just focusing on getting anything down is important. For some of our patients that we're seeing at the bedside, they may have very specific nutrition needs and so particularly increased calorie needs or increased protein needs. And so we really then need to be thinking about, well, what foods provide those calories and proteins? And often they're foods that we may not consider to be healthy in our normal eating patterns. So we might be giving flavoured milk drinks, for example, uh, lots of you know, cheese and biscuits and, uh, you know, encouraging them to have their dessert and their meat first. And don't worry so much if you don't eat your vegetables today because we're really wanting that protein and the fats and the the carbohydrates there to give the body the energy and the, the protein for recovery and to preserve the muscles, especially yeah. when they're in bed for a long time. But it's really challenging to implement, especially if you personally follow a very healthy diet um, or that patient normally follows a very healthy diet that might be very low in sugars and high in plant-based proteins and fibres and then really needing to shift that mindset to um, that's how you eat when you're healthy but at the moment your body needs different nutrition. We need the calories and protein right now. And so as a professional, that can be challenging because we might see a person in front of us who maybe they've got diabetes or maybe they've got heart disease. And so we know that that, that this typical healthy eating pattern is what they need for their usual health, but at the moment they're sick. And actually that might need to take the back seat for a little bit. Um, and we need to really just boost some of their, their calories and protein for a bit until they're recovered to a point that they can then go back to those healthy eating patterns. That's really challenging um, mindset and people really struggle with it, the professionals and the patients and the family. Um, and so that's where dietitians can come in and really have those conversations with people about what your body needs now. Let's go straight to number two. And your point is weight and intake are key nutritional vital signs that need to be monitored uh, especially when people are in hospital. Can you talk us through that, please? Yeah, and I know bedside nurses are monitoring so many different things with their patients, but I think from a nutrition perspective, weight and food intake are really critical for us to know whether people are eating enough and they're meeting their nutritional requirements. Um, unfortunately, there's not a single blood test that we can do that will magically tell us if somebody's well-nourished. It's really complex and we often need a number of different pieces of information to pull together a nutrition assessment, but weight change, but particularly weight loss and food intake are, are things that we really need to have a good understanding of. And unfortunately, they're not well measured and monitored in hospital. They're hard to measure and they take a lot of time. Uh, but I think if if there's a, a patient that we're worried about and the dietitian is is being involved, then I think we really need to think about how can we keep an eye on their weight and their food intake. Um, of course, weight is important for lots of things. It's important for, for nutrition, but also for drug prescribing and equipment and all of those other things. Uh, so I think having systems in place to keep an eye on people's weight in hospital. And then the food intake side, I know, is is, is tedious. You know, we've got things like the food charts and, and things like that. But I think if we can prioritise patients that we do keep a really nice record of, of what they're eating for a short period of time even so we can be just sure they're really hitting on their targets um, that can really help us to make sure they're meeting their goals yeah so in your experience uh, as a bedside you know as a patient how good are people as historians about accurately reporting what they've been able to eat and what they haven't yeah uh 
typically terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know even if you were to ask me to detail everything I ate yesterday, I would struggle and I would forget things. And so um, as dietitians, we've got lots of, we're trained in, in how to get all of that information. It's almost detective work to try to find out what people have eaten. Uh, and then if you layer on top of that, somebody being really unwell, not really having the the energy to engage in a really long conversation where you're asking all these questions about what they're eating and where we know that things like delirium and cognitive impairment can really make it hard to remember. Um, having some sort of record is just really, really helpful. Is that a role that we could encourage families to participate or visitors? Because, you know, I, I, I feel every, every single podcast we have, we're asking more and more of the bedside nurse uh, you know, is it something if we're quite concerned about how much people are consuming to encourage visitors around meal times to also, you know, firstly to assist perhaps in actually cutting and feeding and those sorts of things, but also being able to accurately report, like they put them in their mouth, but they actually they spat it out and it's in a napkin or, you know, like ate really well today just as a, as a way of kind of assisting our nurses. Yeah, and the family do really take a lot of notice about how much somebody is or isn't eating and so they can be a really good source of information. So, yeah, wherever we can, um, giving that as an activity they could be helping us with. Um, in in some of our hospitals, we're also looking at whether support staff can be helping us with that. So the food service officers, as they collect the meals, is that um, can we have systems in place to make it easy for them to make a note of um, how much people are eating? And some of the hospitals have implemented that. So that that is helpful. Um, and so if nurses know that those systems are in place, then they, they can easily access that information themselves to know how their patients are eating. Uh, but where but, but I think it's important for nurses to know how much your your patient's eating. It tells you a lot about the person and how how well they're doing and their hydration status and everything like that if you've got a good sense of their food intake. All right, number three, body size does not indicate nutritional status. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a big one, isn't it? I, I think we can have um, people of a range of different body sizes and they could all have the same nutritional status. We can have people that uh, live in a larger body and they can be very well nourished. They could also be very um, undernourished or malnourished um, and vice versa. We can have somebody who is of a low body weight and again, they could they could actually, that could be natural for them. They could actually be well nourished, but it could also be a sign of their malnutrition. So I think there's a lot of bias in our healthcare system when we see somebody who's in a larger body and we think, oh, they're not eating so well, but that doesn't matter. They can do with a few days without eating. But we actually know that they're the patients that really don't eat well. Um, there's a larger gap between what their body needs because often they actually need a lot more food to maintain their larger body and their muscle stores. And our food service menu is designed to meet the needs of somebody who maybe say 70 kilos. So if you've got someone who's 100 kilos already, then they're probably going to um, be challenged to meet their requirements. Um, so it's yeah, it's a real a real challenge. I think sometimes we look at these people and make judgments about their nutrition needs and adequacy. Um, I think I think that's a misguided perception generally in society as well, because we could be seeing someone who has high calorie density diet at home in the community, but their pre morbid nutritional status, but based on nutrient density of the food they're eating, is they could be quite um, malnourished despite having excess calorie density in their food. So we can be seeing someone coming in and making a lot of those assumptions about their, I guess, 
margin for error <laughs> with with diet or or room to room to cope um, with diet, but their their actual nutritional status when you look at some of the markers in the bloods and stuff can be pretty terrible pretty morbidly. Yeah. And so we can really miss that malnutrition in somebody who's of a larger body size. And and we see people that might have an example would be, a, you know, a cancer and they're going through some treatment. And, and of course, having a, a larger body size can be really helpful because you've got a little bit more of those reserves. But as people start to not eat well and they're losing weight, that's not a good, not a good sign for anybody, regardless of your body size. And so we need to make sure they've got that nutrition. And I think particularly making sure that um, it's not muscle wasting that's happening in their body. So sometimes it can be harder to see um, the change in the body composition. So we may see just a larger body and think that that's excess fat um, and they're losing weight and that's great. They're losing that excess fat. But actually we know that in a catabolic state, our body is wasting muscle. Uh, and if you've got a bigger body size, that's that's really bad. That increases our functional dependency because we don't have that muscle mass to, to then really be able to um, move our body around. So uh, I think we really need to be paying attention to the holistic nutrition and, and making and knowing that somebody who's got a bigger body size naturally has a, a larger requirement for nutrients. So if they're not eating well, that should ring alarm bells for us. Um, we're pretty good at picking up the people that have a low body weight. Um, they often get referred to us very quickly because the malnutrition can be obvious, um, but it's people that, that might be in a, a fairly standard body size or a larger body size that we do miss. Um, yeah. You had talked um, earlier about, you know, frailty and older people and you, you know, frequently see older people who live at home that almost seem to forget to eat and, you know, everyone's had that granny or the granddad who is, you know, literally all bone and skin. Um, I'd imagine that, you know, when someone comes in and they're terribly tiny, that they might be saying, oh, you know, this is just what I look like. But that's an opportunity for us really, isn't it, to, you know, talk to people about their nutrition and their bone density and their muscles, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we do need to have those conversations with people and their families about how they're managing with their nutrition at home. And while we may not be able to directly influence that in hospital, I think we can identify what extra supports they might need at home and we can use the hospital as an opportunity to really build them up uh, and get all the extra goodies into them. And like I said before, the milk drinks and some extra desserts and things that they probably haven't been having for years at home and really start to build them up so they've got their function back and then we can put in the extra supports for them at home. I've had more than a few patients that have actually said, oh, yeah, I got hooked on the insures or the <laughs> sustenance when I was in hospital last time and I've just kept drinking them when I'm at home. Which is, I guess, isn't the, well, I don't know, you tell me, is that a terrible thing if you're an older person um, who is really struggling with eating and meal preparation? Is it a terrible thing to have one of those every day? Those supplement drinks are great if somebody's not able to get the the nutrition in through their food, and particularly if you've if you're going through some sort of treatment that knocks your appetite off, or you've got, you know, severe nausea or having trouble chewing and swallowing. Then then those sorts of drinks are great. They're basically like a meal in a drink, um, and so you know people can live off that, and people do live off off just those drinks if, if that's what their um, their body's able to take in. Um, but it can be a great boost. So if somebody's finding that they're just eating maybe, 
you know, two thirds of what they used to with their meals because they just get full really quickly. Then topping it up with one of those drinks is good. They can be expensive to have at home. And so as dietitians, we try to find um, cheaper options, you know, mixing up milk powders or smoothies with extra bits and pieces that are cheaper will often do. But in hospital, we we do use them regularly because they are a, a way of guaranteeing some some extra nutrition and you know wash down the pills as you have your your shot of your your resource two or your ensure. I think we do need to make sure we tell people when they don't need those anymore because they you know again it's that eating when sick versus eating when healthy. So they're a good thing if you're when you're sick or malnourished. But hopefully, as you recover, then you don't need those sorts of things anymore. Mm. So number four is mealtimes really matter and they can be really important to patients and families uh, in the hospital. So what role can our nursing staff or all of us really as healthcare professionals play around those mealtimes? I think it is a matter of everybody being involved in mealtimes and knowing how we can contribute. Obviously, nurses are there every meal of the day and so can really play a, a big leadership role in that space. But that's not to say that the other members of the team can't and shouldn't be involved. Um, I think we need to know, need to appreciate how important that time is for patients. It's a that one predictable part of their day, um, something to look forward to. I almost liken it to when you get on a plane and <laughs> you know that the the meal you're going to get is not going to be great, but you still kind of look forward to it anyway. I love aeroplane aeroplane food. I (laughs) I think I love any food that someone else prepares for me, like who's, you know, (laughs) spent decades cooking for a family. Yeah. Um, But I think it is, you know, like food is such a celebration, joining together time. It's quite different than other activities, Mm. isn't it? And so – in a hospital, if it, if you are a bit bored, um, or you know it's quite a monotonous routine, I can imagine that meal times become really important. Yeah. Even without the boredom, it's predictability. Like it's a, there's something familiar and predictable about the day, which largely is being taken away, and just stuff's happening to you um, without you having much forewarning that it's going to happen as well. Uh, I, I guess the the important thing as someone that works as a bed uh, bedside nurse or as for a lot of years, is designing the whole system and the whole multidisciplinary team about this because we can say it to the bedside nurses and this happens a lot in uh, acute health systems is the onus of everything ends up back on the most present unit of the healthcare team. Um, So things like going, if there's a non-urgent slash emergent investigation to be done, don't book it around mealtimes um there tends to be this oh there's a slot so we just got to do that slot of stuff that we need to do to the patient but those things can really accumulate over the course of days to weeks of multiple missed meals the catch-up options for meals in um our hospitals that haven't gone to on-demand order services yet um aren't great so they're usually sandwiches and weird choices of sandwiches Mm. that aren't always crowd pleasers like curried egg sandwiches which are nutritionally yeah. good for the protein and fats but yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. not like the most common meal choice yeah. that most people would go yeah. to. I actually had a flight where that was the only food option that was offered as a snack on. Uh, I love a, an egg sandwich but just leave the curry out of it. <laughs> but it's polarizing an yeah. egg sandwich as well. It's not like going to go this is going to hit 
like 99% (laughs) of the population. (laughs) But I think you're right that, you know, we do need to think about what is the priority at that time of the day. And, you know, we, like you said, meals are predictable. Um, Patients always know what time meals are. I appreciate for nurses that the day gets away from you when you look at you and you're like, oh, it's it's lunchtime. Uh, But I think it is a time where as a whole of team, we could really be thinking about how are we spending our time and what are we doing at that time? And not to pick on, on physios, but, you know, breakfast time, getting people up and walking, you know, you know, that might be the best use of our time and the thing that the patients want to do then, but maybe they want to eat and then they want to do something or, you know, the doctor's round in the middle of lunchtime. Is that the only time we can do it? And if it is, we'll could we just encourage people to eat as part Keep of the, the, yeah. the ward round and just tell them how important it is and do you want me to open up this package while the, the resident's doing this other thing? So I think it's about what, you know, we've got these three relatively short periods of the day that might be the only time that people are getting those meals and so what can we do to make that as pleasant time as possible? Yeah, because there, there tends to be this ongoing rhetoric, rhetoric about back to basics um, but everything just is adding complexity everywhere else in the system around it. So it's this con- it is a conflict and it's about thinking about the it, it's as much about um, setting up priorities and our our scheduling management um, priorities as, as well as our task priorities during the day. Yeah, so yeah and a lot of the data we've collected show that um, there are very few patients that really need the full you know spoon to mouth feeding assistance it you know we know that there's probably about a third of hospital patients that need some sort of help at the mealtime so that's actually a lot of patients in the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital that's 300 patients every mealtime that need help but often it's only just that you know opening packages getting the meal tray over close to them making sure they're sitting out of bed and comfortable so I think even just thinking about that in terms of you know my my ward of 30 patients I know that these two or three are going to need full feed assist. So how are we going to help them? And then the rest, could we have an AIN or a nurse, a nutrition assistant go around and just help and set them all up? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those sorts of, I suppose, systems to, to cope with the chaos of mealtimes. And we've also heard, you know, we've got a delirium podcast um, from our earlier recordings that, you know, talk about the importance of getting someone out of bed Um making it social in the ward, like encouraging patients to speak to each other or the families and the patients to speak to each other at that time, how important meals can be around socialisation and helping to reduce the chances of something like delirium. And so important, that mealtime positioning. I know myself when I'm feeling unwell and I'm laying down, even to try to have a drink of water when you're laying down flat is so difficult. And so I think, you know, if we're able to invest the time in making sure people are sitting in a comfortable position, they're much more likely to be independent with their feeding. And there's been research to show that people actually are able to open their packages and use their cutlery better when they're sitting up versus laying in bed. So I think the investment in that time can then help promote that independence but yeah it's just about being comfortable I know that you know we like to sit down and have a nice meal and have someone to talk to and so thinking about what what opportunities can we how can we create those opportunities and whether that's you know throwing the doors open to family to be there and and thinking about how we can encourage um, them to to bring the social aspect to the meals as well yeah Mm. now I I did have to smile with your number five it is that hospital food is not as bad as you think. Um, It's got a terrible reputation that is often like unwarranted. Uh, Tell us what you really want to make with regards to that point. 
And, you know, I can't say that every hospital meal is perfect and it is really hard to to cook in bulk. Uh, so, you know, like I said here at Royal Brisbane Hospital, 900 beds, that's, you know, 900 meals that we're cooking in bulk. And I know I hate, I'm, I don't really like cooking and cooking in bulk is really hard. So it is hard to, to do restaurant quality food, but actually... When we do patient feedback and we get patients involved in testing new meal options, they actually are always surprised at how good it is. Um, And there are a lot of processes in place to continue to test the quality and improve the quality of that, that I think probably wasn't there, say, 10 to 20 years ago. There's a lot more investment in that space now. Uh, I think that uh, I would really invite the nurses to taste the food and be involved in some of that and even asking, you know, how can they be involved in improving uh, the food quality in their hospital? I think as the bedside nurses, you know better than anyone what food comes and goes and is not touched and that the things that people constantly complain about. And so I think thinking about is there a way that you can be providing that feedback in some way to the to the kitchen or or somehow being involved in in the improvement. I know in most hospitals we do these meal quality audits where, you know, once a week or once a month we have a meal sent up to the ward like it's for a patient and we all sit around and eat it like we're a patient and we test it out and see is it come up, is it warm, is it hot enough, is all the right things come, what's the taste like. So the kitchen don't know that it's going for a, a quality check. It's like the secret shopper type <laughs> experience. Um, and we're always looking for nurses to be involved in those sorts of things. And so even to be around and taste it so you can kind of, you know, maybe say, oh, oh yeah, that, that lasagna is actually going to be quite good because there's nothing worse than somebody looking at your meal and saying, oh, that looks terrible, doesn't it? You're not yeah. going to want to eat it. Yeah. Um, so, and maybe it's a bit of a fake it till you make it type of thing as well in that. So new grad nurses hear the opportunity for a free meal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for ways to improve the hospital food service. So ideas, if you've got if you see anything cool from other places you may have worked or, you know, tempt in or something, you know, bring that to, to us. Um, in more and more hospitals, we've got dietitians working in the food service and often being the manager of the food service. So we really are trying to bring that nutrition and dietetic expertise to the to the food. Uh, it's It just takes time. <laughs> in a lot of private hospitals now, they have food on demand rather than, you know, you're ordering off something and it's coming at a particular time. Um, my son had an ablation, uh, cardiac ablation last year and like thought it was like the best thing ever, almost like having room service. Do you think that that sort of thing will be, ever be offered at a public hospital? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do have a few of our public hospitals that have Im- implemented that model and a couple here in, in Brisbane. Uh, and so I think as hospitals are refurbishing their kitchen and investing in updating those sorts of things, they're really looking at those sorts of models. It requires a completely different kitchen from that, you know, conveyor belt plating line type approach to actually having cooks there that are, are making food as orders come down to kitchens. So um, it's something that unfortunately can't happen overnight, but there's a lot of talk and planning around that. And they've shown that, you know, patients do love it and it, you know, can reduce waste and improve food intake. I think we need to really make sure we've got good systems that support people that don't have those appetite signals you know, encouraging them to pick up the phone and make their order um, and that we pick up people that aren't ordering much food, um, people with cognitive impairment that can't. So I think we need to think about those people um, and what supports we have in place to make sure their their needs are still met. But I think it's a really good option. And a lot of hospitals uh, are now moving to kind of 
a range of different food service options. So, um, you know, some of the wards might have a dining room model for the rehabilitation ward where they go up and, you know, get get their meal served at the point of service and then the other wards will have a room service. I think identifying what do our patients need and trying to meet their needs. Yeah, it's interesting if we, I guess I hadn't thought about that, if we went to a complete on-demand then you have to make sure people have the cognitive capacity and, you know, physical ability to get out of bed or to hop up and, and actually order something. And I guess it's a harder thing to monitor then about what is being consumed and what isn't. But I think, and I think having nurses involved when we're planning those sorts of models is really important. So whether that's the bedside nurses, the nursing managers, to think about what role are nurses, do nurses play in those sorts of models and what might be expected as additional tasks for them to be doing? Um, or, you know, maybe this might make their their workflows easier and better and how do we fit in the medications with the food on demand? You know, those sorts of things that all will have a big impact on nurses. So I think um, we need to make sure that, that we're really working together to plan those sorts of things. And look, it's come a long way. I remember working at the Children's like a, many decades ago some of the things that had come up for kids, you just think no child is ever going to consume that. And, you know, over time it's really transformed to be food that is nutritious but also something that a child is more likely to eat and you see that in adult hospitals as well. Yeah, yeah, and we're really trying. So I think all of the feedback that we can get from patients and from bedside nurses is really helpful. And if there's an opportunity for you to put up your hand to be on a nutrition committee or to be involved in the the food tasting, I think, um, yeah, I'd really encourage people to take it because that's a way you can have an influence on making sure that we continue to improve that food. Fantastic. All right, I'm going to have an attempt at summarising that fantastic information. So your number one point is eating when sick is different to eating when well, and that can be challenging, particularly for people who are very healthy, uh, may have a very strict code in their own mind about how they eat and what sort of nutrition. But sometimes when we're sick and we don't have much of an appetite, it's much more important to get some calories into us and so perhaps to go off like what do you feel like you consume and and to be able to see that, that this is and an identified point of time, and it may not last forever. Number two is that weight and intake are key nutritional vital signs that need to be monitored. And so just keeping an eye, like taking the time to weigh patients, first of all, and to try and keep an eye on what people are consuming and aren't, and that we might be able to include family members or visitors in that, or even people um, who are involved in food services to say, look, I've just noticed breakfast and lunch have both been returned with nothing eaten. But weight and intake uh, are really good measurements for how someone's overall health is. Number three is that body size does not indicate nutritional status. So it doesn't matter if someone's living in a larger body or a smaller body, we need to think about what their nutritional status is and how that they're normally eating and that maybe being an inpatient is a good time for us to talk to people about food, to refer to a dietitian, um, and not to have an assumption, look, if you if this person doesn't eat for four days, that's not the end of the world because a weight loss you know, will be good. It doesn't work like that. We've got to think about muscle mass. We've got to think about um, deconditioning and making sure that people actually are getting the nutrition that they need and actually to recover from their illness or injury. Number four is that mealtimes really matter. And all of us as healthcare professionals uh, have a role to play in encouraging people to be up out of bed, 
eating, participating in their foods, that healthcare professionals need to be really cognizant about when are we making appointments, uh, when doctors and the teams are rounding, try to avoid doing that around meal times. Um, that that meals like for all of us are an important part of the day where we might have a break, where we're more social. Um, it can break the routine of being an inpatient. So for everybody to just be much more thoughtful about meals and how we can all participate in helping our patients eat and enjoy their food. And number five was hospital food isn't as bad as you think. Uh, that hospital food's come a really long way in the last decade and that lots of thought and planning goes into uh, creating food that's palatable, that is uh, popular to eat um, and has good nutrition and that all hospitals on the whole will have nutritional committees and that we encourage all healthcare professionals uh, and our consumers to get involved and give us feedback around the food or to be involved in tasting and to give some ideas so that we can make sure that the food that the patients are being delivered is something that actually is going to be palatable. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. All right. Terrific. I love food. I've I've really enjoyed this podcast. It's been great food for thought. Uh, And we'd like to thank Adrian for coming in and joining us on Five Things. Thank you. No worries. Thanks so much. Thanks, Abe.